Our scripture lesson that was read earlier came from Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter and the first through the 13th verses. It's an unusual text in many ways, and we're going to try to see what God will have us learn today. It reads as follows, and Jesus is speaking. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. There was a man, a very rich man, who had worked all his life and saved much money. But he was a real miser. You know the type, right? But just before he died, he asked his wife to put all of his money into his casket with him when he was buried. This is how much of a miser this man was. He asked his wife to put all of his money into his casket to be buried with him. And being the good wife that she was, she promised to do so. After his funeral was over, and just before the casket was sealed, his wife walked up, and put a white envelope into the casket, and turned away. A close friend who had been present when the husband made the request, the selfish request, asked his wife, shouldn't you consider, reconsider what your husband has asked you to do? The wife responded, I cannot break my word. I wrote him a check. 
<laughs> Y'all consider her smart, right? She is. The scriptures, the scriptures in Matthew 6, the 19th chapter and the 21st verse reminds us to not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So today, today I want to talk about where our true hearts lie. And, and really what motivates us to do the things that we do. So in the context of the parable and the story that I just told, I want to speak from the subject quite simply, the God you serve. The God you serve. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this preaching hour. Thank you, Father, for this worship team that has set the atmosphere for preaching. Thank you, Father, for this entire worship experience and all those who have assembled here today, who in one way, shape, or form, or another, is now giving their attention to you, God. None of them came to hear me. They came to hear you. So speak through my imperfections and my faults, my mistakes, that they will not hear anything else but what thus saith the Lord in the context of their lives. Bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. There's an author that I like by the name of Daniel Pink. He wrote a book titled Drive. That's the name of the book, Drive. And in the book, he talks about motivation. And he basically says that there are two types of motivation. There is extrinsic motivation, and then there is intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation occurs when people are driven to do something because of an incentive that comes from a source outside of themselves. In other words, if you want to get, if I, if I want to get you to do something, right, I can motivate you to do it by offering to you something that you do not have, but that you might want or even need. For example, extrinsic motivation is seen where companies, they offer to their employees bonuses and stock options and raises or even extended vacations. They do all of these things in the hopes that they can motivate you to do the work that they want you to do. This is extrinsic motivation. So in short, extrinsic motivation is what we call, what Daniel called, if then. But I like to call, if this, then that reward structure. Extrinsic motivation is if this, then that. Yeah. But the important thing to know about extrinsic motivation and those techniques is that by their very nature, they are goal-oriented and therefore have a tendency to sort of narrow our focus. 
What I mean by this is that many people who are driven by extrinsic motivation, this if this, then that kind of technique, tend to think more about the reward than they think about what they're actually doing. The work is not as important to them as much as the what they're going to get if they do the work. This is very concerning. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, this kind of motivation technique often leads to unethical behavior. Well. Case in point. <laughs> the United States House of Representatives are currently embroiled in an impeachment inquiry that is aimed at trying to ascertain or figure out whether or not the President of the United States, Donald Trump, committed an act worthy to be considered high crimes or misdemeanor. The allegation basically stems from the belief that while the Ukrainian people were engaged in an active war with the Russian aggressors and were in dire need of some kind of military aid, the President of the United States saw this as an opportunity to withhold that aid from the President unless he agreed to go publicly and state the starting of an investigation against the President's political opponent. The withholding of this military aid was critical to the Ukrainians. And so Donald Trump, by asking the Ukrainian president, do us a favor, though. He engaged in a, if this, then that reward structure, which is better known to us as a quid pro quo. Or as I like to call it, extortion and bribery. The problem here is that by making an extrinsic reward the destination that matters, some, if not most people, will often choose any types of shortcuts in order to get there. Yeah. Now, I want to be clear. I don't, I, I'm, I'm nobody's judge. I'm just simply telling you what's presently going on in the House of Representatives. It's for this reason, this quid pro quo, this if this, then that, this extrinsic motivation, that kind of thing is the reason why we often see athletes cheating by using steroids in order to get lucrative contracts. It's the reason why we see corporate executives manipulating numbers to exaggerate their corporate earnings just so that they can look good to Wall Street and get the bonuses that they're looking for. It is for this reason, hear me now, that, that parents sometimes collude with school teachers and college admissions directors to doctor transcripts in order to get their children into the schools that they want them into. Y'all hear what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about nothing in secret. This is what's going on right before our very eyes. But let me come down our street as well. It's the reason why pastors and church leaders pretend sometimes to have more members than they really do just so they can make the roles look fancy. What I'm saying to you is that there is always, when you make the reward, the end in itself, you forget about the work that you are doing. Quid pro quo, if this, then that, extrinsic motivation. Now, the thing about extrinsic motivation, and I want you to always hear, to hear this, is that it's not always about reward for desired behavior. 
It is also used quite often, in fact, as punishment if the behavior is not carried out. For example, if I require you to be on time for our church meetings, and I happen to levy a $5 penalty on you because you're late, I'm trying to get the behavior so that you are, you are here, but, but it would force you to try to be on time, not because the meeting was important, but because you don't want to pay $5. Do you see the difference? See? And so the point is extrinsic. This if this, then that kind of motivation often leads to unethical behaviors which can show us exactly where a person's heart is and reveal the God that they really serve. The second motivation technique, as I said before, is intrinsic. This is a different kind now. Intrinsic motivation occurs when a person is less concerned with the external rewards and are more concerned with the satisfaction that comes from the activity itself. You all know what I'm talking about. It's, 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 how, it's how Confucius, he says, well, what do he say? He says, if you do a job that you love, you'll never what? You'll never work a day in your life. Right? It, it, it's that kind of, it's, it's, I often tell people that teaching is one of those things that excites me. Right? Uh, uh, my students at the university, they, they, they wonder how at 6 o'clock at night when I'm teaching a class, I come so fired up when they're like, how long is this class going to be? I come into class like, hi, students. How are we doing today? Today, we're going to learn about statistical methods. And I am excited about it. And they're like, what? I want some of his coffee. Why? Because there is something that comes to me whenever I'm engaged in the act of teaching that literally makes me come alive. It, it, it is a reason why, for example, for those of you who come to our Bible study, find it sometimes, we all find it so exhilarating. Why? Because something happens when you're engaged in the act and the act itself becomes its own Reward. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There are things in your lives that you are passionate about. That listen, when you do it, it's almost like the world stops. Like everything around you is perfect. It's just like picking roses. You feel so good because it has tapped into the part of you that is at the very heart of who you are. And we call this your passion. Listen, the biggest thing that we can do, John, Jim Collins wrote in his book, Good to Great. And in his book, he talked about good is the enemy of great. But here's the thing. He says, listen, if you find what you are passionate about, find a way to get paid for it. Because the idea is that you would, it would not feel like work. I, I, I don't know, but I, I never knew I was, gonna be, I was called to be a pastor. Everyone would tell me I was called to be a pastor. I didn't know it. I didn't believe it for a long time. And something happened when I became a pastor. That you could send me anywhere. Listen, I just enjoy the work, right? Even if I'm getting paid what I'm deserving of not doesn't make a difference because something about the work excites me. And I love God's people. I love to see God moving in the lives of his people. I love to see how God just turned things around in the lives of God's people. And you can't pay me for that because I have intrinsically I'm intrinsically motivated. Yeah. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know how it is when, when, when you're doing the thing that excites you the most. Intrinsic motivation comes from deep within you. It is something that God has placed in you. And when you have tapped into it. Now the challenge is some people don't know that they, what it is for them. But when you have tapped into it, 
you are more alive than anything in your life. So what does this all have to do with our text? What does this have to do with the, the, the text that I read? Well, a summary of the parable simply is like this. There's a rich man, and he's about to fire his manager. The master is about to fire the manager. And he's about to fire the manager because he has found out that this manager was dealing in shady business with his property. The steward now is really scared. And he's worried now that he's about to be fired. And when he gets fired, he's not going to have any way to keep his lifestyle going. So, so he comes up with a plan where he goes now and he calls all of the debtors, all the people who, his, who owes his master money or something. And he goes to each of them and he says, okay, how much you owe? And how much you owe? And how much you owe? And as he was going to each of the debtors, what he was doing was he was reducing the amount that they owed to the master. Well, after this happens, the master says to the steward, to the manager, you have acted quite well. And the master is now pleased with his manager. Now, 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 the parable is very troubling on many levels. I don't know about you, but for me, something don't seem right in this parable. Here's why. For one thing, the steward might be cheating his master, right? Let's think about it. If his master is owed a hundred bushel of corn, and you say to the debtor, don't give him a hundred, you're going to give him 50, and this one over here owes 200, and you say, don't give him 200, you're going to only give him 150. It seems to me like the master is not getting his full due. That, listen, I don't know if this, if this is Jesus' people, but for me, that won't fly. You owe me 100, I want 100. You owe me 150, I want, as a matter of fact, I want some interest. So I don't know what this master is talking about. Oh, you have done quite well. Something doesn't seem right to me. So because that doesn't make any sense to me is the reason why I said Jesus is probably teaching something a little bit more in the parable. So we have to do what God has asked us to do and to dig a little deeper into the meaning of the parable. Here's where I, here I want to go. For one thing, we often read these stories through our own cultural lens. Yeah. How we understand things. You and I know that from our cultural perspective, sometimes that's not the way the people in the first century or in the biblical times functioned and operated. So that's the first thing we need to understand. In our culture, if I'm your boss and you work for me, what I would be doing is what? Paying you. I would pay you to do work for me. So that's how our cultural mindset works. The master would pay the manager to go collect the debts from the people. But what you need to know is that in this cultural context, that's not the way it works. You see, the master doesn't pay the manager. The manager goes and collects the debts from all of the people, but the manager has to put something on top of that so that that's where he gets paid from. So the issue becomes, it looks a little different. So as far as the master is concerned, when the, when, the, when the steward says, I'm reducing your debt by this much, or I'm reducing this debt by that much, and giving the master less, he's actually giving the master what is owed. You see, the extra on top was the gravy for the manager. See? 
Y'all see what's happening here. So the gravy on top now is what the, 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 the manager now is trying to figure out. How can I work this out so that it works to my advantage? And this is why the steward or the manager was called unrighteous. He was levying a heavy tax on the debtors in order to line his own pockets. He placed an extraordinary amount of interest on the bills for the people who owed the master. And this is the reason why he now has to change his, his direction. And he says, listen, I need to now curry favor with all of these debtors. And what is more pleasing to you and me than to have a debt reduced? Right? I owe you $1,000, and you say to me, listen, listen, Hugh, you know, I know you owe me 1000 but I'll only take 500 You do that to me, you and I are friends forever. You're cool with me. I'll, I will work with you. Thank you. You all understand what it means to owe a debt and not have to pay the full price. We understand what that feels like. So now this manager is going around, and he's doing this to all of these people, trying to now curry favor with all of them. The parable speaks directly to the issue that I raised before about motivation. Let me explain. Before the unrighteous steward was caught, busted, found out, heard about his quid pro quo, before that happened, he was charging a high fee for his services. We're clear. He used the if this, then that, motivational technique in order to cheat. And as long as the master got his share of the debts, he could charge anything he wanted. His heart was serving the God of greed, manipulation, and exploitation. Now before we get too hard on this, this steward, I want you to see you. Because you may not think that you are unrighteous in the way that you deal with people as well. Let people owe you something that you believe you deserve. One, for whatever reason, we, we, we are hard on people. But when people get hard on us, we start to cry. In other words, we, 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 we think it's only good one way. But forget about the other way. And if you don't believe me, just look at who you are willing or rather not willing to forgive. How people have hurt you in your life that you know you should forgive, but for whatever reason, you hold on to that unforgiveness. My brothers and my sisters, what I'm telling you is that you are no different from the unrighteous steward. Don't sit in judgment of that steward without first looking in the mirror yourself. So he was motivated by the quid pro quo. I like saying that. The quid pro quo. The if this, then that. It motivated him. But now he got caught. He got busted. And when he was caught, he was now being held to account by the master. And now his motivation changed from being extrinsic to now being intrinsic. Let me explain. He now had to focus not on the reward, but on what he was doing. Remember I shared that with you before. It's the part of us that makes us excited whenever we're operating in our passion. Doing the thing, doing the activity is its own reward. He's now recognizing that he needed to shift his focus from what the reward was to what he actually was doing to people. He had to shift it. And his efforts now put at risk his own personal compensation in the hopes that by sacrificing his own income for the benefit 
of those debtors, then he might reserve for himself a place of favor in their lives. Do you see what's happening here? Now, to be clear, he was an unjust manager. <laughs> Let's be clear. He ain't no paragon of virtue. He didn't just all of a sudden now find Jesus and he's a good guy. No, 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 no. He is an unjust manager. And he was and always would be thinking about his own welfare because he's still thinking about himself, right? So make no mistake about it. But, but look carefully at verses 3 and 4, right? I want to read verses 3 and 4, what it says. It says, the manager said to himself, right here, the manager, the, the steward, said to himself, oh my gosh, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the job away, the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that, I, I, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their home, homes and houses. By saying I'm not strong enough to dig, what he was saying is that I'm not good enough to be a useful slave. Got it? I, 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 I can't be a slave. I'm, I'm not good. I'm not good enough. And by saying I'm too ashamed to beg, he was actually saying that he harbored in his heart pride. So he had to become shrewd. He had to really figure out how to fix this situation. I can't be a slave because... I'm too, uh, it's just, I just can't do that kind of work. It's just too hard. I, I, I can't pick cotton. Just ain't going to happen. But, but, but at the same time, I ain't going to sit on the street and beg nobody nothing because I'm too proud to beg. <laughs> Y'all understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm, I'm just too proud to beg. This is where he's stuck. So he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do I got to do? So now he starts to scheme. He starts to figure out in his mind. But, 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 but this shrewdness is what the manager or the, the, the boss, the master, is commending him for. Watch. Look at verse 8. It says in verse 8, and his master, watch this, praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus is now making a distinction between the people who are scheming in the world, trying to figure things out. And he says the people in the world, not the Christians, not the, not the people, the children of God, the people of the world are very shrewd in the way that they figure things out. And, and the people of the God are, are not like that. Jesus is making a comparison, and I'm struggling. He says, Jesus says, I tell you. Here's what Jesus says. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcome into eternal dwellings. Jesus, you're confusing me. Is, is this good behavior or bad behavior? You, you, you tell us that we should be in the world but not of the world. Why are you making a comparison saying that the people of the world are shrewd and they are good but the people of the light, they, 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 it's almost like we don't know what's going on and we're being taken advantage of. Well, to be shrewd actually means to have or to show sharp powers of judgment. That's what it means to be shrewd, to show sharp powers of judgment, to be smart. In other words, to be astute. It, it is to do what people expect of you in a way that still allows you to extract a benefit. 
Got it? I want you to understand what being shrewd really means. So the wife in the story that I told you before, right? You all applauded her when she put the envelope, the check in the casket. Did you not? You all applauded and you all said she was smart. In other words, what I'm telling you is that the wife was shrewd. You, you, you can't see her behavior as anything other than real shrewd. She kept her word, did she not? But she used the system in order to get the benefit. She, she, she figured out how to be in the world, but not of the world. You see where I'm going? You see, you see Jesus is saying, Christians, y'all need to know how to become all things to some people that you might win some. Jesus is saying, you need to learn how to move in circles where people can't really quite figure you out. But you kind of know how to navigate your way through this evil, vile world. Jesus is saying, be harmless as a dove. But what? Wise as serpents. I'm telling you that that woman is showing us something. The steward is showing us something. Jesus is telling us something. Now, 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 the woman was not dishonest. She neither lied nor stole. And Jackie likes her a lot. <laughs> right? right? But, 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 but Jesus commended this behavior. But why? Let's look carefully as we get ready to wrap up. Let's look carefully. I hope you all are seeing some things in the text. But, 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 but let's see what Jesus wants us to see. Jesus says in verse 10, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also with much. Jesus says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And, and, and if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is someone else's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The, 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 the worldly wise steward was shrewdly appraised. Why? Because the situation he was confronted with threatens him. And so he had to move quickly to situate himself to the best way that he could be situated for the future. Stay with me, church. I want you to see this, right? He, he, had, to be, he had to be smart because on the one hand, he, he, he got to pay something to, them, to his master. But on the other hand, he, he had to figure out, how am I going to get out of this dilemma? How am I going to work my way out of this? He, 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 it seems that, he, you know, he, he, he was limited in his options. Jesus said, how wonderful it would be if those of us, the children of light, who knows the truth of the gospel, could see things so sharply in a similar way that we align our behaviors and our actions towards the situation that confronts us. Let me bring it down our street. Jesus was confronted with a situation that a great debt was owed to the God, the master. Jesus said, wait a second. My master's owed 
God the Father is owed a really, really big debt. And that God the Father was coming to collect that debt. And, and so Jesus now figured out, hold a second, what am I going to do here? So, so, so Jesus left the comfort of heaven. And, and, and he came to the earth because he was not motivated extrinsically. He was motivated intrinsically. Jesus loves us. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I told you before that God has made you with a value that is so much more important than you and I could even ever imagine. But Jesus loves us so much. Jesus loves us more than it seems that he even loved himself. And Jesus now says, the master is coming for his debt. I found something and I need you now to pay this debt. So Jesus now, looked around, and he says, how can I curry favor with the debtors? <laughs> how can I curry favor with these who are owed so great something to the master? And Jesus, rather than say, how much you owe? He says, I owe 50. All right. How much you owe? I owe 100. How much you owe? Sir, I owe 10,000. How much you owe? I owe a million. So, so, so Jesus now didn't say, okay, you give me half, you give me half, you give me half. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to use me to pay it all for you and give to the master what is owed. You see, I'm going to solve this dilemma at my own personal peril. I'm going to put myself at risk. Now, the debt was so huge that the only way that it could ever be repaid is if God himself paid the debt. That's how much you and I owe God. And so Jesus, being God himself, says, take all of me, not a little bit, not some of it, because I'm going to pay all of it. And when Jesus hung on that cross and he died, he looked to the Father and he said, God, it is finished. He paid your debt, your debt, your debt, your debt, your debt, and my debt. And guess what? He paid it in full. He paid in full. Jesus solved the dilemma. The debt was too high. But we couldn't pay. So he paid himself. But here's the part that I love about the text or the story. Is that because the debt was so high, that had to be paid by God himself. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid it fully 100%, nothing owed. Psh, check signed. Burned the mortgage. But he knew that on the third day, he would rise again. He knew that he could pay it in full. But because he's God, he says, I can now come back. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You see, God knew what you couldn't pay. And that's why Jesus said this steward was shrewd because he figured out how to work this dilemma. And Satan thought that he had won a battle Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is why.
the story. And many people read this and don't understand what's going on in the text. Not your story today. This is why Jesus is considered our mediator. This is why Jesus is our great intercessor. This is why Jesus is our great high priest. Because he knew, he knew the God he served was worthy of all his due. But Jesus would pay the ultimate price for he knew the God he served. So who's the God you serve? And what price are you genuinely willing to pay? For, for God is owed a really great debt. You see, many of us, we look at money and think that if we had a little bit more of it, we could get ourselves out of our problems. But you know, the more money you have is the more problems you're going to have. And it seems like if you want to have no problems, you need to have what? No money. <laughs> but y'all ain't buying that. <laughs> like, like, I, heard, I heard Les Brown say one time, they say money bring a whole lot of problems. <laughs> Les Brown says money bring a whole lot of problems, but I like to find out for myself. <laughs> I like to find out for myself. You can't serve God and money. And the truth of the matter is this sermon is not really about money. It's about your faith. Because where your heart is, that is where your treasure lies. And the fact of the matter is you will know which God you serve just by looking at what you do with your money. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me close with saying this. Money often serves as the last hurdle for people who are trying to get over on their journey of faith. But money should never ever be the reason that stops you from doing the work of God's kingdom. Money in and of itself is, has very limited value. It's a piece of paper. It, it has very limited value. But when handled in a way that advances God's purpose, it can give you a reward that is so much greater than you can ever imagine, right? You could buy something today, you could buy something tomorrow, but something about when you use your money for the advancing of God's kingdom, it does something for you that you cannot even begin to explain. It's the, I don't know. It's less today we were in our new members class and they were, we were talking about tithing and it says, I don't understand. One of the members said, I keep tithing and when I tithe, I just keep having more money. I'm saying to you there are some things that happen in God's kingdom that we cannot explain or cannot understand but when you trust God as they sang today in the song I will trust in him. When you trust God, God shows up in ways that defies all explanation. He is either God or he's not. So the question I have before you and for me and for all of us is who is the God you serve? Because you can't serve God and money because you're going to hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve both. But money is not designed to master you. You are designed to master it. And so I say to you, my brothers and my sisters, as we prepare to go, I don't know what you heard. I don't know what is going through your mind as you think about which side of the table you're on, whether you're the steward or even the debtor. But here's what I do know. Whether you are the unrighteous steward or you are the debtor, the one who owes, both of them need salvation. Both of them need God. 
And so today, as we prepare to leave this place, we've got a few things that we need to get done, but as we prepare to leave this place, I want you to really search your hearts and to think about the God that you really serve. Don't come to this church doing anybody any favors. Let me be clear. There's no quid pro quo here. The only thing, there's no do this, then that. That don't work in God's kingdom. It's do this and do, them, do some more. That's it. Because at the end of this life, you don't want to be like that man in that casket. I want you all to take all of my money and put it in my casket when I die. Right, Jackie? You ain't want that. You're going to get a check. <laughs> Knowing that once that casket is closed, ain't no bank going in there to cash that check. So, the, so, the, so the, the wife was shrewd. But Jesus is asking you to be shrewd as well. And how he's asking you to be shrewd is to make your calling and your election sure. He needs you to say one thing and one thing only. Lord, I need you. Come into my heart and be Lord of my life.